Hopkins. And uh, uh, I was kind of interested in UFOs, but I didn't really uh, uh, know much about them back then. And that book changed my life. Because at the end of the book, there was a, a, a kind of a paragraph that uh, Bud had put in there where he said, uh, if you feel that you've had any incidents that resemble the incidents described in this book, um, please uh, write to me if you want to have them researched and I'll put you in touch with a researcher in your area that can uh, help you with it. And so I uh, decided to write him a letter. I wasn't sure if I was going to at first, but uh, as I was reading his book, I was getting flashes of memory that were coming up to, uh, uh, to my conscious mind. And uh, one of them involved my dad. And it was where we, uh, one time we were driving home from somewhere at night. And uh, uh, I remember I was probably around maybe seven or eight. Maybe not even that. No, I think it would have been about five or six at the time. And uh, in those days, the cars had like a, a shelf behind the back seat at the window. Yep. And uh, I used to climb up there and lay down and look up at the sky through the back window. And uh, so I was doing that and I saw this, uh, this white light. It was kind of following us in the sky. And... It started getting closer and closer to us. And um, uh, so I, I climbed into the front seat and I asked my dad, what's that light up there? And he said, what light? And I said, the light up there. And he looked out the window and he could see this thing. And by this time it had gotten pretty close to us and it was uh, flying at treetop level uh, and matching our speed. And when my dad saw it, he went into instant panic mode. And uh, I said, what is it? And he said, shut up, leave me alone. And he was, you know, I could see he was visibly uh, frightened. And uh, so anyway, we, we tried to outrun it. And there's no way we could outrun it. It matched our speed. And, and there didn't seem to be anybody on this road at all. And... Uh, there were trees around us, like pine trees. And, and so all of a sudden, the ship shot ahead of us and uh, quite a distance, and it came down in the road. So when we got uh, close to it, I don't know if the engine stopped or if my dad just stopped, but he, he stopped, and this thing was sitting right in front of us in the middle of the road. And it was, uh, it was very bright. It lit up the whole road and the trees and everything, almost like daylight. And uh, so we were both looking at this thing, and all of a sudden this, my dad managed to collect himself. And he said to me, uh, he says, you stay here in the car. He said, don't, don't you leave the car. You stay here and stay low so they don't see you. He said, don't look out the window over the dash, just stay low. He says, I'm going to get out and see what they want. So uh, anyway, uh, 
these two beings came out of the ship and they're standing in the road just looking at us and my dad opened the, the door and he got out and he starts walking toward them well I was just a little kid and I was very curious so of course I was looking over the dashboard and watching this going on and uh, I could see him talking to the, the two beings and the one was in front uh, talking to him and the other one was over over that being's left shoulder kind of uh, behind a little bit maybe a, a few feet back and so I, I wanted to see who these people were because they looked different from us and I was uh, interested and and so I, I climbed over to the driver's seat and I got out and I knew that I was probably going to be in trouble for it, but uh, little kids can get away with a lot of stuff, you know. And so uh, I started walking toward my dad and I could see him uh, turning his body to guard me so that the, the beings wouldn't see me. And he, was, he had his hand behind his back and he was going like that, to, you know, get back in the car kind of motion. And uh, so I came up behind him and uh, he was still trying to guard me so the being couldn't see me. And the being just suddenly went like that and looked over his shoulder at me. And he said, I could hear in my mind, I could hear this being saying, you seem to be concerned about the child. And uh, so the, uh, my dad's kind of laughed this. He, when he's nervous, he kind of has this sheepish sort of laugh. And, and he said, oh, yeah, he says, that's my boy. And then he turned to me and he said, I told you to stay in the car. Now go and get back in the car. And I said, but I want to see you. And he says, go and get back in the car. So then the, the being that was talking to my dad said, would you like, my crew member to take him back for you and my dad said no well, that's okay uh, we have to go anyway and so the the being turned and looked at his crew member and the crew member immediately came over and took me by the hand and started walking me back to the car so my dad was uh, looking at, at us watching him take me back to the car and I could see he was nervous about it, wondering, like, what's what's going to happen here? And so, uh, anyway, uh, I got in, and the being got in beside me and sat in the driver's seat. And so he, he shut the door, and he was sitting there looking at me. And he started asking me questions. He said, uh, uh, how does this vehicle work? And uh, I said, well, you push the one pedal on the floor there to make it go, and you push the other one to make it stop. And he said, oh, I see. And so he's kind of holding the steering wheel, and he goes, what does this do? And I said, well, that's how you move the vehicle. Uh, you either go that way or that way with it, and depending on how you turn it. And he said, oh, okay. And then he pointed to the radio on the dashboard. And I just happened to glance up, and I noticed that my dad and the other being were no longer there. So I assumed that he'd taken him inside. And he pointed to the radio of this being, and he says, what does this do? And I said, well, that's a radio. 
and I said, you, you hear music on it and you hear people talking. And he says, oh. And he said, uh, can, you, can you talk back to them on it? And I said, no, it, it doesn't work that way. It only works one way. You can hear on it, but you can't talk. And he says, oh, okay. And he said, uh, how do you start the vehicle? And I said, well, you have to put the key in here. And he was just keeping me occupied and basically babysitting me while my dad was on the, the ship with the other being. So uh, uh, he kept me amused there for maybe about 20 minutes or so, asking me questions about school. He said, do you go to school? And I said, well, no, not yet, but next year. So that means I would have had to have been about four because I would have started school at five. So I would have had to have been four years old, I guess, at that time. So anyway, he kept me amused for quite a while. And then I saw my dad get out and the other being, they both uh, came out of the ship and they're standing there talking in the road. And... The being looks at me and he says, I have to go now. And I said, uh, I said, really? I said, can't you stay a little bit longer? Because I was enjoying his company. He was taking an interest in me. And, and uh, he said, well, maybe for a minute or so. And then he was watching the other being that was with my dad. And then the other being just kind of nodded at him like that. And he said, now I do have to go. And uh, I tried to talk him into staying, and he said, no, I'm sorry, I do have to go now. So he got out, and he's walking toward the other being past my dad in the road, coming back to the vehicle. And so my dad got in, and um, he was kind of quiet. And we watched the two beings get back in the in the saucer-shaped craft. It was saucer-shaped. And... Uh, it lifted off the road and we watched it lift up and we watched it take off and so then my dad started the car and we started driving home then I noticed something kind of unusual is that this uh, ship appeared to be coming back and it came back and did the same thing it uh, came down in the road in front of us and made us stop again and uh uh, my dad, I heard him kind of mutter under his breath, oh, what the hell do they want now? And uh, so the, the being, one being got out, walked over to the car, and my dad stayed in the car this time. He didn't get out. The being came over to the window and uh, motioned for my dad to lower the window. So my dad rolled the window down, and he said, what is it? And the being said, you forgot these. And he handed him his glasses. And uh, so my dad said, oh, thanks. And he put his glasses on. And uh, then the being went back to the ship and they left again. So that was the end of that incident. But uh, the one that's uh, that I've talked about a little uh, more often is one that I call the van incident. And this happened when I was about... Uh, maybe 14 or between 14 and 16 I think somewhere in that range and uh, I was in a band with uh, some friends of mine from school and uh, there was 
we were we had just played at the uh, uh, American Hotel in Niagara-on-the-Lake and uh, I was probably about 16 I guess or maybe 17 I know I was underage but they never asked my age and uh, so we we just uh, we were the house band there for a little while and so I played there and we finished our gig all of a sudden this guy walks up to us and nobody seemed to know who he was but he had long hair like maybe down a little past his shoulders and he was wearing jeans and and uh, a jacket and uh, he said are you guys by any chance going to St. Catharines and we said yeah and he said would it be okay if I grabbed a lift with you and so uh, the driver was our guitarist I'll call him Tom and he said uh, sure he says uh, you know you have to sit in the back with the equipment though and he said yeah that's no problem so we all piled into the van and we left the party and there was uh, in the front seat there was Tom the guitarist there was Sam our drummer and uh, those were the two seats in the back it was just like a cargo van but there was one window in the side of it and uh, uh, in the back was myself and the bass player uh, which I'll call Calvin and the girlfriend of the drummer which I'll call Anne Marie and uh, and this guy that we picked up needed a ride and we we were sitting in the back there with the amps and all the drums and everything and and so we we went to get on the Queen Elizabeth Highway and the uh, entrance was closed for some reason and so we decided to uh, take the service road the north service road go down to the next entrance and get on there so that's what we did we uh, got on the north service road to the Queenie and uh, we were driving along and all sitting in the back uh, talking and so then all of a sudden the um, Tom stops the van and we said why are you stopping and he says well you guys are gonna have to take a look at this because you're not gonna believe me so uh, I looked over the seat we all kind of looked over the seats and we saw um, and again a saucer shaped craft sitting in the middle of the road and it had uh, it was quite a bit ahead of us we stopped uh, back far enough that we didn't see us and uh, he said what do you think it is and I was thinking well maybe it's a movie prop maybe they're doing a movie here and he says yeah but it's like uh, uh, two or three in the morning like why would they be filming a movie at three in the morning and uh, all the lights were on on this thing there were like uh, lights around the perimeter of it and uh, lights coming out the bottom of it it seemed to be panning back and forth over the over the pavement and um, it had portholes in the sides of it and recessed portholes so anyway he says uh, what should we do and 
I think it was Sam that suggested, well, maybe we should turn around and go back and take the, uh, take the back road home instead. So that's what we agreed on, because we didn't want to get too close to this thing, because we didn't know what it was. And uh, So uh, anyway, we start driving ahead, and uh, we're not turning. So I said, how come we're not turning? And he says, well, look, he says, I'm turning the steering wheel. I've got it cranked all the way over, and, and it's not moving. Like we were heading straight for this thing. And I could, I noticed that I couldn't feel any of the bumps in the road that you normally feel when you're driving. So it must have uh, levitated us up slightly off the road. And uh, I said, well, put on the brake. And he says, I'm pumping the brake. He says, look, nothing's happening. And, and the van was still moving toward this thing. And we were approaching it pretty fast to the point where I was bracing myself for impact because I didn't know if we were going to hit it or what, you know. And we're all kind of panicking and uh, um, everybody was terrified because we didn't know what the heck was going on. And it brought us right up to it, to maybe about uh, 20 or 30 feet away from it. And then we settled on, on the road and the van wouldn't start. Nothing would work. And we're all panicking in the in the back, and so uh, the drummer Sam kind of became the voice of reason, and uh, he's he just shouted, "Everybody, shut up!" So we all kind of stopped talking, and he said, "No," he says, "I don't know what this is, but he says if we remain really quiet and we stay down so they don't see us, he said uh, maybe they'll leave us alone." And he said, but he says, uh, Tom and I have to, we can't leave our seats because, you know, we're stuck here. So we're just going to face straight ahead and we'll all remain really quiet and not say anything. And maybe they'll leave us alone. So uh, we just, we all sat there and uh, you could feel the, the fear and the, back of the van was so tense you could cut it with a knife you know and uh, so the the drummer he says uh, I heard him say oh no and I said what what's going on he says they're getting out and I said really I said I want to see and he said no stay down stay down and I says well what did they look like and he says well they're just little guys and uh so anyway, we could hear them around the van, and they were trying the doors, and we had all the doors locked and everything. And uh, at one point, I saw the profile of an alien head go, go by the side window of the van. And it shocked me, and I said, did you see that? And everybody went, shh, quiet. And I said, yeah, but did you see that? And Anne-Marie said, yes, I saw it. So we could hear them trying the back door. And uh, I started looking around for something to hit them with because I thought if we get into a fight with these beings, I don't know what they're going to do. And, and uh, so I grabbed the mic stand and I was ready for anything that was going to happen. And then the strangest thing happened. 
this guy that we picked up at the party, nobody knew, he starts looking around and he was sitting in the back corner of the van looking around at us and all of a sudden he just reached over and grabbed the handle of the door and opened it so the the back door flung open and we couldn't believe he'd done that and there was three beings there at least three maybe four i can't remember exactly now but uh, they were standing in a row looking into the van and the first one in the front which i assumed to be the leader he got up and came right into the van through the back door and so uh, we're all panicking but i couldn't move i was paralyzed for some reason and when he came in uh he was standing up and his head was clearing the ceiling by a, a good six inches or so so he was pretty pretty short you know we couldn't stand up in the van but he could and uh, so he's looking at us and I could hear uh, these words in my head and he said I'm sorry but we had to temporarily paralyze you because he said I was concerned for the safety of myself and my crew because you were thinking thoughts of violence and he said, we don't uh, mean any violence or any harm uh, to anyone. He said, uh, all we want to do is uh, run a few tests on uh, three of you, and then we'll bring you back and you can be on your way. And so he said, uh, he started looking around, and he looked at... Uh, at the guy that we picked up at the party, he said, uh, I would like you. And then he looked at our bass player and you. And then he looked at me. And as soon as his eyes fell upon me, I looked down because uh, uh, I was afraid he was going to peck me. But my heart was going a mile a minute because in a way I was hoping he wouldn't peck me. But there was a part of me somehow that knew he was going to. And so I sat there looking down at the ground and then finally I couldn't stand it anymore and I looked up and he was staring straight at me and I heard him say, and you. And so he said, would you follow me please? And he turned around and he started to go back out through the back door and as he was leaving, his foot caught in the, the snare drum stand knocked the drum over and it rolled out the back of the van and fell on the ground and immediately one of the other beings picked it up and started looking at it and uh, so uh, uh, the leader gets out and then the bass player and the other guy got out and then I followed him out and uh, uh, the being with the drum hands it to the leader and he took it and he looks at me and he says is this yours and I said no and he said uh, who does it belong to and I said well it belongs to him and I pointed to Sam in the driver's seat and Sam gave me this dirty look like why did you point to me you know I don't want to be involved in this so the leader said to the being that originally picked the drum up he said go and get him and bring him out so the uh, the other being went over and 
came back with Sam, got him out and brought him around to the back of the van. And the leader handed him the drum and he said, is this yours? And Sam took it and he, he said, yeah. And he says, is it damaged? And he looked at it and he says, no, it doesn't appear to be damaged. And he laid it on the floor of the van. And uh, so anyway, I had uh, a bag of uh, my recorders. They're uh, these instruments here, these wooden instruments that I played. And uh, I had them, they come apart in pieces, and I had them in this uh, burlap bag. And uh, where I go, my instruments go with me. So I grabbed the bag, and uh, he told us to come around to the side of the van. And uh, so I went around the side, and we were all standing there. And now uh, Sam with, was with us, so there were four of us now rather than just three and uh, uh, Anne-Marie and Tom remained inside the van and so he had us line up along the side of the van and he said uh, he says I want you to face that way and face the back of the person in front of you and he said we're going on the ship and he said when we go on we're all going to go together as one unit and he said so when we start to move he said uh, don't look to the left don't look to the right look straight ahead and he said and when we go up into the ship he said don't touch the hull so uh, he went and he stood in in front of us and one of the other beings stood in the back of us and we all kind of lifted off the ground and started moving, and I thought, wow, this is really strange. And uh, so we're moving toward the, the ship, and uh, of course I, I couldn't resist it. I had to turn my head, and so I looked to the left. As soon as I looked to the left, we stopped. And when I faced straight ahead again, we started going again. So I said, oh, that's how it works. And then I tried looking to the right, and we stopped again. And the being never turned around. He just waited. And when I looked straight ahead, we started moving again. So uh, there was, uh, I guess, uh, the four of us and the one being in front and the one in the back. So there were six of us. And we moved over toward the, the side of the ship and turned toward it. And I could see there was like a, a set of what looked like corrugated steps going up into it and I could see the light inside the ship and it was uh, it wasn't like extremely bright it was kind of subdued and then we started to uh, turn on an angle and move up rather than walking up the stairs we just went straight up and uh, as we were going up I was looking through the handrail at the, at the hull and I just reached out and just barely touched the, the surface of the hull like that with my ring finger and um, it felt like aluminum uh, or some kind of metal. So when we, we started going in, the drummer was in front of me and the archway was made for these little guys. It wasn't made for humans. And my drummer was a tall guy, and he banged his head on the archway going in. And they immediately became very concerned that 
are you okay? Are you okay? And he said, yeah, I'm fine. But he was, wasn't happy at all, you know, didn't want to be there. And so then we, as soon as we got inside the ship, uh, they separated us. But there's a, a little part that I should add before I forget is uh, where I touched the ship with, with this finger. About two weeks later, I ended up with a huge planter's wart on the surface of my finger. And uh, it took a long time to get rid of it, like uh, a couple of months or so to get rid of it. It was the worst wart I ever had. <laughs> so anyway, uh, once we were inside, they separated us from each other. So there was uh, basically one being for each of us. And uh, uh, they started asking us to, uh, they said, we, we need you to remove your clothing so we can do these tests. And so uh, uh, they brought me and the bass player and uh, the other guy, the hitchhiker, they brought us all to this uh, area where there were some benches there. And... Uh, so we all started to remove our clothing. And um, uh, I remember seeing somebody with long underwear. And I think it was the hitchhiker. And we thought that was kind of funny to see this guy wearing long underwear. But anyway, uh, I, uh, the being that was uh, standing in front of me, uh, I asked him if I could keep my underwear on. I just had these briefs, and he said, well, what's underwear? And so I showed him, and he said, yes, you can keep that. And I was afraid to let go of my bag of instruments, and, and he said, you can put those there with your clothes on the pile of clothing on the floor. And he said, nobody's going to touch them. They'll be fine. You'll be able to see them from where you are. So, so I put them on the floor, and... Uh, then uh, uh, he came over with a like a gurney-like uh, thing and asked me to get up on it. And so I got up on this thing, and I was sitting on it, and uh, uh, he wheeled me over or, or pushed me over somehow. I don't know if it had wheels or what. I didn't wasn't really paying attention to that. But he moved me over to this other area of the ship where there was... Uh, uh, cabinetry, like base cabinets uh, with a countertop on them, and they sort of followed the contour of the ship. And he pushed me over to there, and then he went over to one of the other beings, and the other being had like a little table that seemed to also be metallic, and it had uh, uh, a cloth on the top of it that the being started unrolling it. And inside, there seemed to be uh, instruments that looked like surgical instruments. And uh, so while they were discussing what they were going to do, I thought to myself, I've got to get something from, I've got to see if I can get something from this ship because nobody's going to believe me when I tell them this. So I looked to see what I could, what I could take. And there was uh, these round knobs on the drawers in this cabinet. So I reached down and I grabbed one of the knobs and I, th 
I wondered if it would unscrew and I started turning it and it was getting loose. And I, so I managed to unscrew it and take it off and I had it in my hand and I thought, well, where am I going to put this thing now? I don't have any pockets and, you know, uh, maybe I could hide it in my armpit or something. And, and uh, so anyway, the being comes back over to me and he, he says, we're going to do the test now. And he said, he looked at me kind of funny and he said, what have you got? And I said, what do you mean? And he said, you took something. And I realized that you can't hide anything from these guys. They know your thoughts. And, and uh, so I, I had to show him. And he took the knob out of my hand and he, he looked at me and he says, you can't keep this. And I said, why not? And he said, because... We're not allowed to let you keep it. And the other being that had the instruments said to him, why not let him keep it? What harm can it do? And he said, we're not supposed to let them keep anything. And uh, so he, he put the knob aside where I couldn't get to it. And, and he brought me uh, over closer to the wall. Um, there was like an inside wall. Uh, in this ship and uh, there seemed to be like a screen on the wall there and uh, anyway he took one of the instruments off the uh, the table and it looked like a, like a hand unit for a contemporary phone you know and, uh, but there were no wires attached to it or anything and he says I'm going to show you how this works and he held out his arm and he turned this light on and it shone this green light on his arm. And as he moved the instrument up, uh, up and down over his arm, I could see the bones under his skin. I could see his skeleton. And I thought, wow, that's really strange. So then he says, uh, now I'd like to try it on you. And I said, is it going to hurt? And he says, no, it doesn't hurt at all, but it may tingle a little bit. And he said, put your arm out like that. So I put my arm out, and he turned the light on and scanned my arm with this thing. And when I looked at my arm, I could not only see the skeleton, but I could see the, the muscles, muscle tissue. I could see the veins and the arteries. I could see my pulse. In the, in the veins, I could see everything under my skin. And I was just amazed at this thing. And uh, I wondered why I couldn't see that when he put it on his arm. All I could see was like a skeletal structure. I didn't see any nerves or veins or anything. But anyway, he said, uh, now we want to have a look in your stomach. And he said, uh, would you lay back? So I laid, laid down on the gurney and uh, I kind of had my head lifted up a little bit so I could see what they were doing. And they were all crowded around me. I think there were two or maybe three of them. And they were shining this thing on my stomach, looking at uh, different areas inside my, my stomach. And uh, so anyway, uh, uh, I seem to remember seeing it on the screen on the wall as well. And so he said, uh, he, he said, I need you to sit up for a minute. So I sat up and uh, he said, I want you to look at the wall here. 
And when I looked at the wall, there was a, like a disc about maybe two feet in diameter. And it was uh, like a black and white spiral that went like a helix into the center of this thing. And he turned this thing on and it started spinning slowly. And as I was watching it, it was kind of pulling me into the center of this thing, uh, watching this. And, and I could feel myself starting to slip away. And I said, I, I don't want to look at that thing anymore. And he said, no, look at it. He said, it's very important. He said, look right into the center of it. And he says, it's very important. So I need you to look at that. So I looked at it again. I watched it for a little while. And all of a sudden I was out. I couldn't. Uh, I just lost my consciousness. And so uh, the next thing I remembered is uh, I woke up and I felt like I'd woken out of a deep sleep. And I looked at the beings and they were rolling up the instruments in this cloth. And uh, uh, he said to me, uh, We'll take you back to your clothes now, and you can you can get dressed. And so uh, he wheeled me back to where my clothes were and my instruments. And uh, uh, so the other two guys, uh, they brought them back as well, and we all started getting dressed. And uh, so the, the the two beings were standing there in front of us. And they said, we have a few minutes now. If there's any questions you want to ask us, now is the time to ask us. So uh, I waited and I let the other guys go first because I was trying to think, I need to ask him something important, you know, because the other guys were asking questions like, where are you from? And uh, he's, he showed us a star map on the wall and he said, do you know the stars at all? And we said, well, not really. And he says, well, and he said, it wouldn't really do any good for us to tell you where we're from. But uh, he says, it's from this area in here. And uh, so then he, uh, somebody else uh, asked, do you have any bases here on Earth? And he said, yes. He says, as a matter of fact, there's one right out here. And he pointed out the, out the window to uh, Lake Ontario. And so then he came to me, and it, it was my turn to ask him a question. And so I'd thought of a really good one. I said, what is the true religion on earth? And he just kind of looked at the other being, and they both looked at me like they were surprised. And he said, why would you ask us a question like that? And I said, well... It's obvious that you're a lot more technologically advanced than we are, and you're probably uh, more socially advanced, and I'm assuming more spiritually advanced as well. So if anybody would know what the correct religion on earth is, it would be you guys. And they seemed to like my answer. And then he looked at me and he said, there is no true religion on earth. And uh, he said, and that's the end of the questions. And they immediately turned away. And I said, well, wait a minute. I said, you can't just 
drop something on me like that and not explain. He said, I said, can't you elaborate a little more? And he said, no. He says, As a matter of fact, we probably told you too much already. Mm. And so, uh, anyway, uh, and uh, the drummer at this time refused to, to, to uh, take his clothes off and he'd been arguing with the other being uh, right near the entrance to the ship and the other being could not convince him to cooperate and take his clothes off and uh, I kept hearing him throughout this I kept hearing him say no I'm not going to do that I'm not going to do that so he was still uh, I remember the other being said to him would you wait here then until the others are finished? And he said, yeah, I, I can do that. So the two of them waited, uh, and then we all kind of regrouped and started leaving. And we were going down the, the steps, and everybody else went in front of me. And uh, I, again, I had my bag of recorders with me. And uh, just as I was about to go down the steps, the being, the leader being put his hand on my shoulder and stopped me and he said, wait a minute. And uh, so the others all went back to the, the van and a couple of the beings went with them. And uh, then I was still on the ship and he looked at me and I went out again. I lost consciousness. And the next thing I remember, I was standing on the pavement looking up at the doorway of the ship and the being standing there and he was silhouetted in the doorway by the light in behind him and i remember i could i could see he looked kind of grayish but all i could see were these big black eyes uh, that was the only thing that really stood out and he was uh, these were gray beings they had the larger heads and uh, and the big black eyes that kind of curled up the sides of their head so they could actually look at you from the side of, of their head and uh, uh, they had a greater peripheral vision than we did and so i was looking at this being and uh, i felt this tremendous love radiating from him it was just an incredible feeling of love that i've never felt before uh, in any other situation like that and uh, he was telling me something and I, I guess I was still kind of under hypnosis a little bit and I just caught the end of, of his words where he said in, in the future he said you'll be a great help to your friends and your family and uh something about playing an important part but i i kept trying to remember what he was what he had told me but it already went into my subconscious and and uh, i kept trying as best as i could to remember what was it that he just told me because it it caused like really deep feelings of emotion in me and uh, my face started itching so I went to scratch my face, and it was soaking wet. I realized that I'd been crying for some reason. Why was I crying? You know, I could feel the wind blowing. It was cold out. And uh, anyway, uh, 
he knew that I didn't want to let this go. I wanted to remember consciously what he had told me. And so he came over and uh, distracted me with a question. He said, uh, there was something you wanted to show us. And I, I looked at him and I said, what? He said, you wanted to show me something. And then I realized it was my recorders. So I opened the bag of recorders and uh, I took one out and I put it together and, uh, and I uh, played a little bit on it and I showed it to him. I handed it to him actually. And uh, he reached out and he took it. And this is the first time I actually got a pretty good look at his hand. And his fingers were a lot longer. The fingernails were like almost like claws. They weren't like regular human fingernails. And, uh, and the skin looked like it was kind of um, scaly looking and dry. And uh, just seeing that image of his hand kind of frightened me a little bit. And I didn't want to look at it. And so I was holding on to my recorder and I was wondering, is this being some corporeal? Is he... Or is he a, a spirit of some sort? So I held on to the recorder and I felt him pull on it. So I felt the, him pull and I let it go and he took it. And at that point I knew he must have been solid because I could feel him pull it out of my hand. So uh, I played a little bit on it and when he took it, um, he did something that kind of surprised me. I expected him to put it up to his mouth to play it, to try uh, to get a sound out of it. But instead, he put it up to his nostrils like this, and he pressed it against his nose, and he managed to get a couple of sounds out of it. And I thought, that's really strange. And uh, I wondered why, why he had done that. And it wasn't until many years later that I got the answer to that question. And it was from a book by... Dr. Leonard Stringfield, and he had done uh, an alien autopsy, and he wrote a report on it in this book. And what he said was that with these gray beings, the mouth is only like a pocket, and it it, uh, it they don't have a full digestive system. The mouth is just like a, a pocket, and it stops back here. And uh, so he... Uh, when he said that in the book, I realized that in order to breathe, they must breathe through their mouth or through their nose. They can't, uh, they can't breathe air through their mouth. So that's why he put it to his nose to play it. So anyway, then uh, I said, uh, am, I gonna, am I going to see you again? And he said, yes. He said, you will see us again. And he said, would you like me to bring you back to your vehicle? And I said, no, that's okay. I, I can go back myself. And uh, so I looked at him, and I, I felt a, a strong bond with him, like I didn't want to leave him. But uh, he turned around, he went back up into the ship, and I walked back to the van, and I got in through the back door. And when I got to the back door and I looked in, everybody was just 
sitting there frozen like they were in a state of suspended animation. And as soon as I got into the van, they all came to life and they all started uh, arguing. And uh, so when I got in, uh, they said, uh, the drummer looked at me and he said, we've made an agreement. And he said, we need you to agree to this. And I said, what? And he said, we are not going to tell anybody what happened. And I said, what do you mean? I said, we've got to tell people what happened. People need to know that this is happening. And he said, no. He says, we are not going to tell anybody, are we? And everybody just kind of nodded. And uh, I said, well, I'm not agreeing to that. And he said, well, if you tell anybody, he says, we're just going to deny it and you'll look like an idiot. So I was really upset that uh, he took that that stand and uh, all the way home like we watched the ship leave we watched it head out over Lake Ontario toward where he'd pointed and said the base was out there and we saw this thing it didn't shoot off really quick like you know like you might think it just kind of coasted off slowly and we watched the this light from it getting smaller and smaller and smaller the further out it got and uh and then we started driving home, and I noticed something strange. The hitchhiker that we'd picked up at the uh, party didn't seem to be with us anymore. And uh, so I kind of wondered if maybe he was planted with us for the purpose of opening that door. Maybe this had been planned ahead of time and uh, so that was a question that kind of crossed my mind but as they were bringing me home I kept hearing them in my head saying you're going to forget you're going to forget all of this you will forget that you met us you will forget everything and I was mentally arguing with them no I won't no I won't I'm not going to forget this I will remember this as long as I live and uh, we had this sort of telepathic argument going on and everybody was kind of quiet and so when they dropped me off at uh, I was living at my parents house at the time I uh, I would often come home at night I had my own like late at night I had my own key to get in and I went in and uh, went into the kitchen and I got a pad and paper and I wrote down in point form everything that I could remember that had happened, uh, the most important stuff I could remember. And then I took the paper and put it in my dresser drawer and I went to bed.